everyone, and welcome to Allentown Presents. Uh, Otis and I have been working on figuring out what we're going to do for the rest of this next year, and we came up with some themes that we're going to follow every month, like February is going to be rom-coms because of Valentine's Day and things like that. Um, we don't have an exact name for our program yet, but we'll get there eventually. You'll find us under Allentown Presents, basically. Uh, this month's theme, January, is Minority Report. And it's called that because, for those of you who do not know Otis and I, uh, Otis is African American <laughs> and I am Mexican American. So <laughs> Minority Report will be following movies that are centered kind of around our minority heritage basically so we'll be doing some black exploitation films and we're going to do some Hispanic heritage films and just things that have to do with um, with our culture kind of I mean black exploitation is not so much culture based but <laughs> but it's more of just movies that we probably saw when we were younger or just I don't know. It's just it was a lot easier for us to probably watch these, and we have some type of connection to them, just based off of I don't know how they make us feel. It's kind of the big, the main idea for it. But every month will be something different. We've worked out a list. Uh, a list is somewhere, but uh, we'll uh, show off the order at some point soon. We'll take a picture and put it on Twitter. So. Um, Maybe we'll make an entire episode where we just talk about the order real quick. Yeah. Um, the number of movies. So th this idea came from when I, in October, when I did the scary movies, I did 31 of them. And when Katie did 25 of the Christmas ones, we realized that that number is a bit ridiculous. Like yeah, in October, I'm still going to do 31 of them. but And still 25 in December. But it's, um, but we kind of like the theme of it. Like Every day of the year is too much. Yeah. Uh, but we enjoyed the, the whole thematic um, aspect of it. Every month was something particular. And then we did some stuff on the side. But uh, that seemed to go pretty good. Yeah. And so we worked out a list of just different types of genres for movies for every month. And they're going to be a lot different. And some animated and funny <laughs> and action and stuff like that. So it'll be a pretty big just collection of movies that we really like and hopefully we can put some on there that we haven't seen before yeah. i don't know some of the animated ones i haven't seen in a very long time and i think a few of the newer ones i actually haven't seen so it, well, it should be a pretty good collection yeah and spooky movie squad will also be doing uh, a similar thing um along with each month for this show being a different theme spooky movie squad is also going to do different themes for each month so this month to go along with our minority report January's theme is aliens because, well, you'll get it. And, you know, every month is going to have something different, uh, a different, like, creature feature, basically, that we will hone in on that has to do with, sometimes it'll relate to the, to our regular theme, and sometimes it won't. Like in February, we'll be doing vampires on Spooky Movie Squad, and that will relate to Valentine's Day because vampires are all about sex and love and, well, maybe not so much love, but all about the sex and, you know, that kind of is similar to rom-coms and to the love theme of February. So 
yeah, we're going to stick to some themes and that should help us not go crazy so much with trying to push out um, an episode every single night because we are busy with work and a regular life, so that's a little too hard for us. So today's movie, the one that we decided to watch first, off right off the bat, is 2017's Coco by Disney and Pixar. Now, this film does not is not super old. Doesn't is not something that we you know we watched as kids because clearly it only came out a couple years ago, but it is definitely one of the most well known at this point in 2020 movies having to do with uh, Dia de los Muertos and Mexican-American culture or Mexican culture, um, at least here in the States. I'm sure there are many, many, many other films that depict Dia de los Muertos and Mexican culture much better. Um, but Coco was the most, is the most well-known at this point because it catered to both children audiences for children and audiences of adults well that's the magic of disney movies when you can get kids into something yeah and then if it's an important theme that adults you know certain people would deem very important it makes it a lot easier for people to really like get behind it uh with disney movies it kind of depends a lot of them the comic ones i try to watch them pretty quick but uh, animated ones, I know I can wait because it'll be somewhere. And this was before, like, that Disney app came out. But I knew I, was, I would watch Coco at some point. I wasn't worried about it. And I knew it, I would enjoy myself. It probably wouldn't be, like, you know, the second coming to Christ or anything. But, um, yeah, it was my first time watching it. It was, it was pretty good. Yeah. So the first time I watched this film, um, I did watch it when it came out. Or nearly when it came out, um, I was moved to tears. I mean, a lot of Pixar movies and Disney movies do that to me nowadays. But this movie hit me in a way that none of the other films had ever done before. And I imagine it was the same sense of pride that I was feeling that a lot of people of Pacific Island descent islander descent felt when they watched moana for the first time or a lot of people who are of scottish descent felt the first time they saw brave like this movie is the first movie that since what like three caballeros and what's the other one saludos amigos to feature a lot of spanish culture like we don't have we don't have a mexican princess which i am still lobbying for and i will fight till the day i die to fucking get it'll happen yeah we don't have you know we don't have a latina princess we don't have any really films besides those two saludos amigos and three caballeros from 70 years ago that have to do with our culture and this was so moving and touching and like, there are elements in it that even me growing up as basically a white kid with not a lot of Hispanic influence on my upbringing, like, recognize things that I saw in my dad and things that I saw in my abuelita and different things from my family that I definitely noticed throughout this film that were just great. <laughs> Um, so like I said, this film is the third film in recent years that has to do with um, a specific culture. And when Disney made this film or decided to start making this film, they settled on 
doing most of the acting, just like Brave and Moana, by characters of that specific nationality and descent. So nearly all of the characters in this film, all the voice actors, um, and everyone involved in the production of this film, um, on the high end of the production of this film, were, are of Hispanic descent, like are Mexican-Americans, or just Mexicans. Like, they worked really hard on making sure of that when they went, went in, and the only thing that I could find in trivia that was about someone who wasn't necessarily of Hispanic descent working on the film is Michael Giacchino, who did the um, soundtrack for the, or the original score for this film. And the only thing that, so the director originally wanted um, a Mexican-American composer, but decided against it in favor of Michael Giacchino because he had done so many other Pixar films and they felt that he could truly capture what it is to be Mexican in this film um, as long as he used, you know, Mexican musicians and helped, uh, had help from Mexican musicians, basically. So the score, though technically written by Michael Giacchino, was helped along with mariachi players and all sorts of other people who met with Michael Giacchino and spoke with him about the score and the influences, like the different influences and the different ways to incorporate, you know, Mexican sounds basically into the film. And you can hear it throughout the film. Like if I hadn't have looked it up or seen it in the credits, I wouldn't have known that this was Michael Giacchino and would have assumed that this was written by someone of Hispanic origin because it's laced throughout. Like it sounds all the way down to the very opening of the movie like the Disney castle like when they when the zoom out in the Disney castle you get the train in the castle even that was done by a mariachi band so it's like you don't even even think about it being just by a normal yeah well when, by a white guy basically when it comes <laughs> to music in movies where it's going to be like you know like a minority is like the majority like with Black Panther, uh, Ludwig uh, Gorenson. I want to say yes, his last name Gorenson. Gorenson, um, probably. Yeah, the, the dude that did the music for the Mandalorian. He's a lanky white dude, yeah. but he did, you know, legit African. Like he went to Africa for a couple of weeks yeah. and used instruments and stuff. You don't have to be a certain race to be able to like, you know, ugh, I'm using a big five dollar word exemplify. <laughs> yeah. You know a certain. Like, culture is just, you know, if you have an open mind about it, and if you're just a really good writer, you can do anything. Yeah, I, Michael Giacchino, it, so far, has done zero wrong in my book. The man is amazing. He was incredible. And along with that, the songs that were written for the movie were written by people of uh, Hispanic descent. The main song for the movie, Remember Me, which is seen several times throughout the film was that the one for the daughter or was that the one that that's for the daughter and it's it's like so it's the slow one that they sing that he sings for coco to her when he's leaving and that miguel okay, sings okay. at the end and the same one that uh well what's the name of the one where he, he played for the the one dude to get the guitar i thought that was called remember me no that's um everyone knows juanita oh well no i thought he played another one because he was like um because the kid was like, I'll play that at the the talent show. And he's like, no, that one everybody plays He was going to play Remember Me. Miguel oh, okay. was going to play Remember Me at the talent show. Oh, but no, then they, he wrote, then they okay. span around the 
they span around the talent show, and every single person at the talent show is playing a version of Remember Me. Oh, There's okay. like an opera couple and a, yeah. So Remember Me is the big song in this film. Um, it ties into the main theme of the film, Remember Me, because Coco um, doesn't is having trouble with her memory, and it it's a whole thing. I'll, we'll get to the plot in just a minute, but Remember Me was written by um, Robert and Kristen Anderson Lopez, who... This was the only song that they contributed to this film. It was the biggest song in the film and was very, like had five different variations at least in the film, probably more than that. And uh, this is significant only because they are amazing. They like they're amazing and they have done the they did the music for Frozen basically. So you know the biggest animated movie of the last decade was them. Oh, okay. They did the they did all the music for Frozen One and for Frozen Two. Like, they're incredible, and they had basically they had to be a part of this film. Like, there was no way around it. <laughs> okay, so for those of you who have not seen this film, sorry that was like a super tangent at the very beginning. Thanks, Michael Giacchino. For those of you who haven't seen this film, this film called Coco is about this boy Miguel who grow, grows up in a family of shoemakers. It's very similar to The Book of Life, which we will be watching again, or which we will be watching later this month. Um, basically, the kid wants to be a musician. He That's his life goal. He has a passion for music, and his family says, no, you cannot be that. We hate musicians, you know, because of an old family thing. And you have to be a shoemaker, like all of us. We've always been shoemakers. you got to be a shoemaker. And the kid's like, no, I want to be a musician. So he runs away to the plaza to do a talent show to show off that he can be a musician, to prove that he can be a musician, and doesn't have a guitar. So he goes to the grave, no, mausoleum of Ernesto de la Cruz, who is one of the the main characters in this film, and steals Ernesto de la Cruz's guitar to play for the talent show. And when he strums it for the first time, he ends up in the land of the dead. He is, or he ends up a ghost, basically. Um, he tries to, he runs out of the mausoleum and is looking for his family. He's freaking out. And he's met by his uh, dead family, basically. He meets all the skeletons of his family, of his past family members that are on his ofrenda. And they help him or on his family's ofrenda, and they help him go to the land of the dead to sort it all out. And the entire movie, the rest of the plot of the movie, is basically he needs the blessing of his family in the land of the dead to get back to the land of the living, but he doesn't want to accept his main family's blessing because he they don't want him to be a musician. Basically, they'll give him his blessing, but they won't let him be a musician. So he's looking for his great-great-grandfather, who he thinks is Ernesto de la Cruz to get his blessing to become a musician, to go back to the land of the living and become a musician, just like Ernesto de la Cruz. So, you know, chaos ensues and things happen. That's the basic plot of the movie. Um, now for the spoiler alert. Spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. Don't listen to this if you haven't seen this film. Stop right here. Go watch this film. He befriends a character named Hector and Hector helps him reach Ernesto de la Cruz, basically. At the end of the film, they are talking to Ernesto de la Cruz, asking for his blessing, and Ernesto de la Cruz finds out 
or reveals basically that he poisoned Hector and Hector is actually Miguel's grandpa and it's a whole thing or great-great-grandfather and tries to kill both Miguel and Hector and the family comes to the rescue they show that Ernesto de la Cruz is awful and basically they ruin Ernesto de la Cruz's reputation in both the land of the dead and the land of the living and Miguel makes it back and gets to become a musician finally at the end you see he makes Mama Coco remember her father which allows Hector to come back to the land of the living the next Dia de los Muertos and it's just a really, really cute movie, basically. It's so I, good. I like the sub-theme of, uh, they bring up memory a lot. Yeah. Because, like, the uh, ofrenda? Yes. The ofrenda, it's like a, just a wall of, like, who's who in your family, and that's how you, like, give tribute to them when, um, when the Day of the Dead starts. So that was really cool, and then people get forgotten because, you know, families burn out, or there's not enough people, or they don't believe in certain things, and they... And some of the spirits burn out. And then I like that they brought up the actual real fact that music helps with your memory. Oh, yeah. Um, they, uh, there's a lot of exercises they say that older people should do. Um, I know they say puzzles and stuff like that. But they say uh, musicians, there's a really higher chance of them having better memory oh, and yeah. not we, lost and stuff when mu- you play music. Music therapy is huge with uh Alzheimer's patients and yeah. patients who are suffering from memory loss. Yeah, and so we have a lower chance of getting, like, Alzheimer's. Yeah, it's well, like... not, not even just with musicians, with regular people. Like, regular people who have never been involved in music, if you go to them and play music from, you know, when they were in high school or even when they were, you know, young adults or even when they were kids, like, it'll trigger memories from their childhood and force their brains, basically, to work harder and to remember different moments in their life like oh yeah music is incredible yeah so i thought that was really cool they brought up that little sub topic i guess memory was a pretty big spot so yeah memory is always a a real big thing and i I thought that was really cool because that's actually like a scientific scientifical like fact that music (laughs) helps with memory and stuff like that i thought that was pretty cool oh yeah i love that scene when miguel comes back and he's freaking out because Mama Coco is about to forget her father, Hector. And Miguel runs through the town and he runs through his house and he locks himself in the room with Mama Coco. And he's trying to get her to remember. He's saying all these things about Papa Hector and all these different things to try and get her to remember who her dad was so he doesn't get forgotten. And... Finally, he breaks out his guitar and decides to play a version of Remember Me that the dad used to play for Coco when they were kids, or when she was a kid, and it's so overwhelmingly powerful in that moment. Like, it's beautiful. And Miguel, like, is crying throughout the whole thing because he's freaking out that his uh, great-great-grandfather Hector is going to be forgotten because he's formed this bond with him in the land of the dead, and... Then Mama Coco starts singing at the same point that she did when she was a kid in the song. And it's just, it's really, really beautiful. All right, here is a million and one, not really, facts about the movie Coco. So this movie opened in Mexico three and a half weeks before it opened in the United States. Uh, In Mexico, it surpassed Avengers, uh, the first Avengers, 2012. 
and became the highest grossing film in Mexico at that time. So what's, in 2017. What's Spanish for Avengers? I have no idea. Keep going. <laughs> look that up. Because I'm curious what, what it was called. when. Well, they might have just left it Avengers. So a lot of things they don't change just because there's not a point. The Look of the Land of the Dead is based on the city of Guanajuato, which has colored houses placed on hillsides that look stacked. So when you very first open... I found it. So Avengers, <laughs> it's Vingadores for the men and Venga, Venga? Vengadoras for women. Okay, so what would the group of Avengers be? Los Vengadores. <laughs> like a... You want a banda to play oh, yeah. the Avengers theme? Me in the back with the with the Weera. Gira. No, you had it right scratchy the first fish. time. You Weera. had it right the first time. Yeah, I just want to be in the back with the scratchy fish. <laughs> That's all I want to do. You're a mess. Okay. Anyways, um, the lights. Oh yeah, so it's so the city of the day and the dead when they first come into it. Um, I read, not in the trivia that I was reading just now, but I read a while ago that at the time that 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 scene where they zoom in or when they first come into the land of the dead, Miguel first comes in the land of the dead and they show all of the land of the dead is the most lights that Pixar has ever put. Disney Pixar has ever put into anything and there's like something like 7 million little lights in that little in that scene right there. It was a lot. It looked really cool. Like it seemed like it was so busy in the background and that was probably the most I can't even think of another like scene in a movie like an animated movie that had that much stuff going on in the background. Yeah. Uh yeah, that was pretty ridiculous looking. Yeah. Well, we're going to watch uh Oh my gosh, when we get to Book of Life, there's a lot going on in the background of that. But similar. It's very vibrant, very loud. All the colors are very happy. It's It suggests everything is very happy. It's very, very beautiful in that opening scene. Um, the active production for this film um, was from 2011 to 2017, which is the longest Pixar production schedule of any film because they had to travel so much to really get the feel of the culture and to make sure that they weren't stepping on anyone's toes and you know messing with the culture i did read that i guess the disney originally wanted to call this film dia de los muertos and they wanted to trademark the term dia de los muertos uh, i don't know about that yeah well that was like a what like way 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 before this movie was going to come out and there was such huge backlash like they announced it i guess on something or like had mentioned it in some press conference or something and there was such huge backlash from the Mexican and Mexican-American communities for trying to trademark a cultural tradition that Disney backed off within a week. Like, they said it, and within a week, they were like, no, we're just kidding, we're not going to do that. It's so weird <laughs> when, when well, Disney no makes steps, and they just, you know, a lot of the time, everybody's down with it. But sometimes... But, it, but it's funny, those moments where they're like, we're going to do this, and everybody's like, boo, like, what the fuck are they doing with their mouths? <laughs> Oh, they're booing us? Oh, whatever. No, quit. Yeah. Whatever we're doing. Like, we, I'm not used to getting booed like this. Like, it, they must be so confused. They just frown at everybody. Oh, like, yeah. why are they mad at us? No, we, sometimes, sometimes Disney makes decisions without thinking clearly. Like, one guy up at the top made a decision, and he was like, yeah, fuck it, and didn't listen to anyone below him. That's what then, happens when you're successful a lot of the time. Someone yeah. comes up with an idea, like, yeah, uh, Day of the Dead. Let's do a movie about that. Yeah, fuck it. Well, yeah. well let's get the name of it. Okay. 
It, no one's like, I'm that's like, kind of mm, weird to get the name yeah. of something. That's like Kwanzaa, like trademarking the name Kwanzaa to make a movie called Kwanzaa. I'm like, that's fucking weird. Why would you do that? Yeah. So I understand. But there was a lot of backlash and Disney backed off almost immediately. Like they said it and then they were like, oh shit, no, just kidding. We're not going to do that. We're going to change it. It's going to be called Coco. <laughs> right? They're like, we didn't say that. Like, yeah, you did. <laughs> we no, we no, never no, said we, that. No, we didn't. We was just kidding. That, that was not something that we ever said. Okay. Uh, Miguel was only supposed to play the guitar, um, but when the director found out that Anthony Gonzalez could sing, they changed it and had Miguel do both so that they could highlight Anthony Gonzalez's uh, ability to sing. That's weird that in the tryouts they didn't ask. Well, it wasn't something... He was just supposed to play the guitar. Like, the ki- the character in the movie was just supposed to play the guitar. So the kid was just going to voice a normal boy. The boy wasn't originally going to sing in the film. But that's weird. In Disney movies, the main character usually has a song. At least one, you know? But not in Pixar films. And this is a Pixar film. The, this is this is where you hit the, the weird um, Disney-Pixar clash. Because Pixar films are known for having good music but not for being sung by any character that's in the film which is what i think their original intention was for this film Mm. disney films are musicals the lead character in the film does do all the singing like in frozen okay anna and elsa main characters they sing every almost every song in the goddamn film and there's like eight songs eight sung songs in the film okay but pixar doesn't do that like name a sung song by any character in the incredibles Oh, that's not fair. That's an action movie. But I was thinking of Toy Story Uh, uh. 2. Jessie, she sang a song when she was like... No, that's not her singing. It's her telling the story of what happened to her. Oh, that wasn't her voice? No, it's Sarah McLaughlin singing. Oh, I thought that was her singing. (laughs) No. I was like, that was a song. No. There are songs that have words in Pixar films, but not songs that are sung by the main character. This is actually, that I can think of, the only film... Where the only Pixar film that has the the lead character singing a song, and he sings a bunch of songs in this film, mm. and a lot of other characters in this song also or in this film also sing, which doesn't happen in Pixar films. Like nobody sings in Pixar films; it's just background songs. So yeah, so they added basically a whole bunch of an- mouth animation to make the character of Miguel sing. Once they found out that the kid who is gonna be him could sing and the original there was i guess an original kid when they first started production that was gonna be miguel and that kid went through puberty like mid-production or like right as they were starting production (laughs) so that kid uh was he had a cameo in the film um in at the end at the end of the film when they're in uh they're at the sunrise spectacular and the Security guards are all over the place. Mm-hmm. He's the security guard that has the high voice. Like, oh, okay. uh, that's the that was the kid who was supposed to be Miguel. Man. But that's like going from like hundreds of thousands to like thousands in a firm handshake. <laughs> that blows, man. Yeah. Woo. Don't go through puberty, puberty or bro. don't sign a contract until after you've gone through puberty. If you're that, close to puberty but age. But usually kids, when they're going through puberty, that's like the cutest that they're going to look. Like like all the Harry Potter kids. Like well, yeah, they, but, this, but this wasn't about looks. It didn't matter. But, I, but I'm saying that's usually the age when kids are acting oh, yeah. and doing stuff, and that's that yeah. landmine well, I mean, that, that they have that's to norm- That's normally fine for normal actors, but for a voice actor, 
you can't just go from like the oh. beginning of the film where you're yeah. like, oh yeah, hi, my name's Miguel. And then later he's like, hi, my name's Miguel. Oh, they could have played <laughs> off. Maybe like skeleton him is like a deeper voice or something. Mm. They could have worked it out. Yeah, it's too hard. But I'm glad that they changed it because I can't imagine this film without Miguel singing. Like his singing was so important to the plot of this film. Like <laughs> it drove the whole thing. All right, uh, they used old tech in the Land of the Dead. Like, I don't know if you noticed. I didn't notice it so much besides the big computer that uh, oh, yeah. the mommy emailed the, like, smashes with her chocolate. But I, but I thought that was more of just, like, service jobs. You just have shitty <laughs> things. Like, nothing's, like, you would high think, tech. But it's also uh, all the walkie-talkies. Like, they're super old-school walkie-talkies because all of the tech in the Land of the Dead is supposed to be dead tech. Like, um, it's supposed to be ancient and unused tech anymore. So all There should the things... be, like, Google Glasses down there, then. <laughs> and, uh, what's that? Like, razors. Everybody should have been having, like, razor phones and stuff. Razor phones are back, though. Well, the old ones. <laughs> and Nokia. I mean, they might. They might, but this is, like, really, really old yeah. tech. All right. Uh, John Ratzenberger, who has cameoed in all of the Pixar films. Isn't it Ham's voice? Yes, he's the voice oh, of yeah, Ham. Yeah. He also has a cameo in this film, but it's v- his shortest cameo in a Pixar film that exists. He plays uh, Juan Ortodoncia, who is the ghost who um, whose picture was on his dentist's ofrenda. He's like he's walking through oh, the gates, yeah, yeah. and he has like. Uh-huh. Fucking braces and shit on his teeth. Um, yeah, he he only has one word. All he says is gracias, and he just walks away. Oh, but cool. that's John Ratzenberger's only line in this film and his 19th cameo for Pixar films. Uh, the city of St. Cecilia, which is where uh, the Riveras live, is named after the patron saint of music. So, or the patron saint of musicians. So it's funny that his family is so anti-musicians when the city that they're living in is literally the saint of (laughs) musicians uh in brazil the title was changed to viva because coco could be mistaken for the portuguese word for poop yeah uh mama coco's name became mama inez so that they wouldn't mess up and no one was like oh that's mama poop like yeah. It was just too close in Portuguese, and they didn't want it to be mistaken I for that. I heard that somewhere. Yeah, Coco. <laughs> it was poop. Yeah. Um, all guitar fingerings in this film are accurate. Hey, just like uh, Guitar Hero in those games. Like, when they show the, the characters, like, your yeah. little avatar playing. Like, I think it's in, like, ballpark. It'll shift to where it should be. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Which, as a musician, is one of my biggest pet peeves when they zoom in on, you know, some background character who's playing, like, a flute or a trumpet or something and they have the wrong hands or they're playing something that's clearly like they're just wiggling their fingers and clearly not playing what the fuck they're supposed to be playing. You got any good examples? I got two that popped in my head instantly. Go ahead. So uh, the song by Rex and Effects is Rump Shaker. Um, There's a saxophone line in it. It's like all I want to do is a zoom 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 and a boom boom. So there's a chicken bikini playing that it's a tenor sax too. (laughs) Oh. And she has no neck strap. Oh, ever. every Robert Palmer video ever. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I remember when we saw this in high school, well, it, when it hit us, because we played saxophone with all of my friends, and I was like, fuck, man, like, holding a saxophone with a neck strap, you get scoliosis, like, all saxophone players, like, got a hunch. 
But I was like, fuck. And so we took our neck straps off and we tried to play that song and she was like lifting it over her head and stuff. I was like, this is dangerous and not right. But, uh, and then um, there was a biography about Charlie Parker. I was about to say Charlie Murphy. Um, Charlie Parker. And it was Forrest Whitaker. And if you don't know Charlie Parker, he, uh, virtuoso with alto sax, he's the guy that plays all the notes in a half a second. Oh, yeah. But if you go back and, like, actually look at the notes he played, you'll see that he made super chords on himself and blah, 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 blah. He's really smart. Uh, yeah, he's incredible. But uh, Forrest Whitaker, his his go-to move when he was playing a lot of notes was just to have, like, a seizure <laughs> on the stage. And I assume that Forrest Whitaker has really fat fingers because he's a big dude. Um it just, his hands, I, I, I couldn't even, like, you couldn't even really get a look, good look at his hands because he just shook when he played the, the really long lines. And it made me mad. In that movie, he throws his saxophone away. He throws it in the river, like, three times. And then he gets on drugs. It was a dumb movie. We watched it on a bus ride going to Kansas. It was very depressing. It was either that or watch Nacho Libre. And I was the only one yelling. They were like, you guys want to watch Charlie Parker or Nacho Libre? I was like, Nacho Libre. Okay, I'm going to put in Charlie Parker, like, for the love of God, please don't. And then everybody just was sad watching this movie. It was very depressing. I don't have any specific, um, like, I can't name any specific movies, but if you ask Sarah, I yell at the fucking screen, like, every time someone holds a fucking trumpet wrong. Oh, yeah. Like, it happens so often in movies. And, like, you couldn't have hired... Like one guy that's more who effort. played who played trumpet in fifth grade. That's like, way more effort than just getting you're telling this person me, that looks good. But you're telling me it. there wasn't like a single person on that set who played the trumpet in fifth grade one time to tell you that that's clearly not how you hold the trumpet. Hey, like, they're busy holding lights, man. They don't got time to be like, ooh, that's not right at all. I but should it, go it happens, over there. It happens so often yeah. in films. Like people holding trumpets wrong, people holding flutes wrong. Mm-hmm. Like instead of holding them to the right, they're holding them to the left and their hands are like yeah. backwards. And it's just like... I honestly, my dream job in Hollywood would be, I mean, besides working for Disney, would be to work for just as a consultant that for has music. A name. Oh, just for music. I thought you meant the person that just looks for like no. mistakes. No, I don't care about, out. I don't care about other mistakes. I don't have that good of an eagle eye. But if you're going to have a film that has musicians in it and you're going to show musicians on film and you didn't hire just like musicians that were already playing on the street, you hired real actors to play pretend musicians or whatever, hire me. I will be cheap, I promise. And all I will do is I will fix their fucking hands and their mouths and their faces to look like they're actually playing their instrument. Like, it's really not hard, guys. No, it's not it's tough so, at all. It's so easy. And it will bring so it it will make your film so much better. Like all you gotta do. But the fact that Disney like paid attention to this is incredible. They knew it'd be people like you to get puffy about it. I'm actually so. <laughs> yeah. I'm actually really, really excited for their new the new Pixar movie. Oh, the Soul. jazz one, yeah. The jazz one because I'm excited to see all of this, all the accuracies. Like that's yeah. Think no. about it. The accuracy. Oh yeah, but you know Fox has a new Online channel is Fox Soul. It's for the uh, urban people. Oh, Jesus Fox Christ. Fox Soul. Yeah, I saw that this morning. I shook my head and kept going. That's a mistake. Yeah. 
So it's going to be... But it's Disney's doing. It's going to be the Cleveland Show and PJs. <laughs> I mean, I love the night. PJs and the Cleveland Show, yeah, so... we'll have fun watching that all the time, because there's not a lot of black no, stuff Fox that Fox does, owns. No, Fox doesn't own a lot. Yeah. But Disney <laughs> owns Fox, and Disney owns a little bit more. Oh, so Song of the South is going to be on there? Black Panther on repeat. All day Jesus. and all night, Black Panther. That's depressing. <laughs> all they got it's a good movie but i'll be trying to watch it 15 times it's a great movie of a made-up country <laughs> of a made-up city country in africa yeah <laughs> yeah but i'm really excited to see all the accuracies in seoul because that'll be really interesting oh yeah um let's see uh filmmakers and animators traveled to mexico five times during the making of this film to study the culture the people the food the traditions um, and all sorts of other aspects of Mexico that they could incorporate into this film to help with the development of their characters and the look of the film in general. Um, they spent a majority of their time in Mexico City and Oaxaca, but did spend a lot of other time uh, traveling all throughout Mexico. They went during Dia de los Muertos several times to really get the feel for the celebration so that they could depict it well on film. It's That's very cool. similar to what they did for... Uh, Saludos Amigos, which if you watch uh, the special features on Saludos Amigos, I don't know if they have that on, if they have the special features on Disney Plus, but if you own the DVD, um, they go in, there's this like featurette on the animators going to um, Mexico and studying the culture and like, it's really, really cool because they go to the hill, like some hillside in Mexico and they're, they have a bunch of animators set mm. up like their easels and they're drawing just the wildlife of Mexico. And oh, really that's learning. really cool. Yeah. It's fucking a really cool featurette about like old animators go- traveling down and um, learning about Mexico It's fucking and South America. It's really, really cool. All right. Uh, the director of the orchestra in the Sunrise Spectacular, the conductor, basically, that is a character of Michael Giacchino. Like, they took his facial features and made it, like, that's him. Oh, okay. I was wondering <laughs> what it was. Yeah. So, that's pretty great. Uh, this film has a variety of animated celebrity character caricatures or cameo appearances of legendary Mexican celebrities. Uh, to pay homage to them. It has uh, a wrestler, a famous Mexican wrestler named Santo. It has uh, the movie actor Cantinflas. I'm saying, butchering it, sorry. Uh, Actors and singers Pedro Infante and Jorge Negrit. Uh, Painter Frida Kahlo is in it. Actress Maria Felix is in it. And Emiliano Zapata, who was a leader in the Mexican Revolution. Uh, These are all cameos that have been confirmed by the director. Um, But he also said that there's a whole bunch of other famous Mexican celebrities in the film that you just have to be basically super eagle-eyed to find. Go find one of those, uh, all the Easter eggs in the film about Coco, and you'll probably see a whole bunch of those celebrity ones. There are a lot of Pixar Easter eggs in this film, just like all other Pixar films. There is a poster for Incredible 2, which was going to be the next film released by Pixar. They always do some type of uh, like indication of the next film that's going to come out in their film the pizza planet truck drives by i thought i saw it yeah it drives by the uh shoe the rivera shoe shop um the a113 which is in all the pixar films and was in uh that other film that we watched something i don't know we watched i think i watched it last month oh is something tim burton maybe i don't know 
A113 is a classroom at Cal Arts where a bunch of Disney animators like worked. It was in an episode of Simpsons. Because apparently... Um, but I didn't... I haven't been watching this. Yeah, but um, was it Brad Bird? He actually... Uh, it was one Krusty. Uh, they thought he robbed the Quickie Mart. He actually, like, drew some of the scenes for that episode. Apparently, yeah. him and Matt Groening, they're, like, really good friends. Yeah, but it wasn't just that. It, it was, was something else. It was something yeah. else I watched for Christmas, around Christmas time. But it was, like, uh, an animated film that had the A113 and it was a reference to CalArts because they that person was also in CalArts, but it wasn't a Disney Pixar film. Like, it yeah. wasn't any relation to Pixar. But a bunch of the animators for Disney and Pixar went to CalArts and were all in the same, like, all ended up in the same classroom. So that's why it's in everything. And then there was a, when they go to the, when Miguel runs into the, the plaza, there is a Buzz and Woody and Mike Wazowski pinatas, like, hanging up for sale. Oh, uh, yeah. So there's all of that. And there's also uh, the Luxo Jr. Ball, which is like the Pixar staple as in every single film, um, in Frida Kahlo's like apartment uh, when Dante is chasing the monkey. Mm. It like bounces off of a table. Uh, Dante is a Sholo dog, which is a national Mexican breed known for its lack of hair and rough skin. And that dog is actually making a comeback. Like it was very popular in the early 1900s and then um Frida Kahlo and her husband Diego Rivera were very very important in making it a popular dog like they had oh, cool. a, they kept it as pets and um made it very popular in Mexico and then once they passed away once their death the dog started to be on the decline and was very rarely seen and then I read in an article I don't know, like a month ago, that that dog, the Shola dog, is coming back and, like, making a resurgence in Mexico. People are, like, becoming more, I don't know, in love with it, I guess. They're liking it more and keeping it as pets now. So the, the Shola dog has made a comeback. Uh, let's see. This is the ninth Pixar film to win the Oscar for Best Animated Feature and the third Pixar film to win an Oscar for Best Original Song, which it won for... Uh, Remember Me by Robert Anderson and Chris or Robert Lopez and Kristen Anderson Lopez. Um, and then Ernesto de la Cruz's Party Tower is based off of Coit Tower in San Francisco, which is where Pixar is based, or roughly in where Pixar is based, Emeryville. And they changed it just a little bit. They changed the way that the lights are on Ernesto de la Cruz's tower, so it doesn't look exactly like Coit Tower, but it's very it's similar in shape and design. They just changed the lights so it wasn't exactly Coit Tower, so they didn't get in trouble. All right. Who is your favorite character in this film? Um, hmm. um, this movie's a little bit different from a lot of, well, no, I guess I was going to say Disney movies, but Pixar angled. Um, it's actually, it works pretty to the point. Um, I know in the Toy Story films, the villain of the story pops up like, pretty far into the movie so everybody looks happy and usually the bad guy is someone that's very happy at first and then they say like a sentence and then their face changes and you're like oh shit you're the villain of this um so it was tough like because everybody's so happy and everybody wants to help but um it sucked i i, I felt for miguel because usually the main character is kind of an asshole and they learn stuff and they're better he 
He was just a kid. Yeah, he just was really good at something, and and he just wanted to be better about it. So it was more of just the family having their issues with what he was good at. Yeah. Uh, I'd probably go with Miguel. He was pretty solid for a main character, because usually in Disney, Pixar movies, main character's an asshole at first. And in the back half, they get better. Like, third act, I'm like, okay, you're a lot better, but usually their companion is usually my favorite character. Hector. Hector? Hector. Hector was pretty cool. Um, I always liked the hobo <laughs> like character that very resourceful I'm gonna change I'm gonna go with Hector Hector he was pretty cool uh, so I really liked what uh, I really liked Miguel's character he's my favorite all he wants to do is be a musician and it sucks being in a position where your family doesn't approve of what you want to do with your life and I mean musicians like Otis and I that's like our lives we understand that completely and there are many people that we went to school with Whose parents were like, uh, you want to be what? No, you, no, you, I want you to be a doctor or a lawyer or some other stuff like that. Like me, there's no money in being a musician. There's no like stability and all that. Like it's a very common stereotype that musicians like we're backed into a corner into like, you can't make money as a musician. You can't do this. You can't do that. And I really feel for Miguel cause that fucking sucks. Like just support Support your kids, no matter what they want to do in life. Like, don't be a douche. Yeah. Um, but I did like... One of my favorite things about this film that I didn't really touch on is the fact that they hide the fact that Hector and Miguel are related throughout the entire film. Like, uh, there's never any mention... Like, Mama Imelda never confirms, and the rest of the family never confirm or deny that Ernesto de la Cruz is the great-great-grandfather. And It seemed like and, they didn't know. And Hector is very quiet about, like, as to who his daughter is. Like, they just keep saying he's trying to get back to his daughter. His daughter's forgetting him. He never says that it's Coco until the big reveal at the end when you find out that they're related. So I really like the way that they kind of weave that in. And you do think that Miguel is related to Ernesto de la Cruz for most of the movie. And I really... It was a really unique way that they did that and how they covered it up every single time that they brought up, like that they were interacting with different members of the family. They were very careful to make sure that they, there was no like crossover. You didn't think like, oh, maybe it's not Ernesto de la Cruz or maybe, you know, maybe this guy Hector is in some way related. Like, yeah. or, you know, there was none of that. Yeah, I didn't think <clears throat> at all that it could have been Hector. I really thought that Ernesto... I'm not saying his full name. He's a piece of shit. Um, I, I honestly thought Ernesto was like related to him the whole time. I was, but in my head, I was like, "How are they going to get out of this? Because he's a piece of shit, and he <laughs> probably shouldn't kill his family." Yeah. But usually in Disney movies, they don't kill something. Circumstance kills them in the end. But I'm like, that's still fucked up. Like this whole movie's about family and remembering. They're not going to put his picture up unless. He gets redemption at the end, but... Fun fact, this is yeah. the first uh, Disney Pixar film that shows a death happening. Yeah, it... it like, that it was... legitimately showed a death, and it shows Ernesto de la Cruz dying twice. Yeah, it, it was <laughs> odd. Um, so the whole time, because, you know, if you see a couple of Disney films, you can kind of see the skeleton and of it. And it shows Hector dying. Yeah. There's a lot. There's a yeah. lot of death in this film. They all, they always have, like, a, some type of skeleton how they work. Huh, the whole skeletons. time, uh, I was trying to figure out how they were going to get past this. I'm like, wow, this is great-grandpa is a piece of shit like how are you gonna fix this oh it's not actually his grandpa thank god i was like (laughs) yeah i I really couldn't work it out in my head how they were gonna fix everything unless 
he was yeah i, I was know, the same way the first time i saw it i was like how i was the same way the first time i saw it and i really liked that an animated film was able to do that like to keep you guessing until the very end when they revealed it like that's not something that most animated films and e- even regular films are able to do anymore like once you watch once you commit yourself to watching a lot of films a lot of movies you start to notice patterns and things that films are just really bad at doing like films just start to become predictable um and this film was not predictable at all in the plot like in the main plot twist like they sorted it out really well and i was thankful that it wasn't just something it wasn't a predictable ending you know what Hmm. we can call this monthly thing this is out of place um we call it the spotlight like january spotlight okay we can do that i was thinking about that okay keep going sure okay uh what did you think about the villain (laughs) Um, for a big chunk of the movie, I didn't know what the villain was. I thought it was just going to be Heritage. Was like the, the family? Was the villain. I knew they weren't, they meant right, but he wanted yeah, to but get. The, but the bad, the bad guy was just the family disapproving of him. Yeah. And I was like, man, this is a lot different from any, every Disney movie. Cause usually they like to have a physical villain. Like this is the bad guy. Well, Moana yeah. was weird because she wasn't. Maui was the bad guy. Took that. Well, Tafiti was the bad guy. No, Maui was a bad guy. He caused her to be mean because he took that shit from her a long time ago. Moana is weird because there's multiple bad guys. Yeah, like, it's, it's, yeah Maui's the well, piece of the, shit the whole the time. The dad is the bad guy because he won't let Moana leave. That's reasonable. Won't he won't let, let, let Moana die. explore the ocean at all. That's all about complacency. He's like, hey, we got all that shit here. There's no reason we should go over there. Yeah, except everything on the fucking island was failing. Hey. Because of the shit that Maui did. Like, I know. Yeah, so it, it's weird. He. Sorry, Moana's a redemption tale for Maui. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so weird. But um, yeah, it was it was cool. It's uh, Ernesto. Even when you found out that he wasn't, he was like the bad guy. He didn't seem that cutthroat. Until he was. Human him was cutthroat. And then he snapped. Ghost at him the was end. <laughs> at the Even end. At first, he just wanted the picture. He, I guess he was really good at not showing his hand until well, the second. The second that you find out that uh, Hector is the grandpa, or that that Ernesto de la Cruz poisoned Hector, the mm. second that you find that out, there's like a switch in Ernesto de la Cruz oh, yeah. immediately, and he switches from like complacent kind of good guy or seemingly good guy to just evil douchebag because mm. he's like. He steals the picture. He sends Hector away to be thrown into that well or whatever. Yeah. And then Miguel, who's just like trying to understand what's happening, trying to fix his emotions to understand what the fuck just happened because he is just a kid. He's trying to hold back his tears and trying to get back to the living world so he can live. Is trying to like prove to Ernesto de la Cruz that he won't say anything. Yeah. Basically trying to hide from a fucking mob boss that he's not going to say anything and ruin. I love that. He was like, yeah, like, you know, a lot of people, they, you know, they like me and I'm very popular. So, you know, you're not going to say anything, are you? No. He's like, no. no He's I, like, I nah, wouldn't. fuck, I can't trust you, little kid. Put him in the well. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, yeah. turn it. <laughs> yeah. So in the movie, in that scene in the movie, as soon as he's like, fuck it, throw the kid in the well, I turned to Otis and I said, and that is where all the Ernesto de la Cruz memes come from. So around uh, De los Muertos or Halloween, there's a lot of memes that come around uh, online talking about, you know, happy De los Muertos, happy Halloween, all these things to everyone except for Ernesto de la Cruz. And it's because he is such a fucking asshole in this film. Like, yes, Scar was an asshole, and he killed his own brother and 
banished his nephew. But Ernesto de la Cruz, like, murdered his best friend and then refused to let the kid take back his picture so his best friend could see his daughter for one last time. Then murdered the kid who, like, for fucking what? <laughs> Evidence, man. Like, he's got to close all these open doors. It was a mess. So people no, I know. don't hate him. No, I know. No, but that's, I understand but that's why, why he got like that. But that's why everyone is just like, fuck Ernesto de la Cruz. Like, that guy's the worst. <laughs> yeah. No, but uh, pretty good bad guy. But like I said... He comes, like, fucking third act of the movie. He, oh, yeah. You finally realize who the bad guy is. I was like, damn, this is kind of late. Yeah. But you don't see a lot of him as a bad guy. Yeah. But I guess that's fine. This movie's not supposed to be typical Disney. No. So, it's no, Pixar. I liked it. A little different. But, yeah. I mean, that's the same in Up. Like, there's not a bad guy in Up until the third oh, act. Oh, yeah. Old dude. Man, that was a long yeah. time. Charles Muncy. He's not... He's not a bad guy. I forgot you he was assume, the bad guy. You assume he's the good guy until the end, until you hit the very end, like third act, and then you're like, well, fuck that guy. Like, <laughs> oh, holy shit, yeah. Yeah. Wow, you get really far. Yeah. Jeez. A lot of, well, no, not a lot of, probably half of Pixar films are probably like that, where the villain shows up in the third act, and the, other half, is, and the other half is like, oh, well, <laughs> here's the bad guy from the beginning. Like Incredibles. Go away, buddy. I don't need a sidekick. And you're like, oh, well, that kid's a fucking bad guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, just like um, uh, when I brought up Toy Story, um, they like to bring out the villain kind of late, but usually they show the villain as a good person. Like, uh, what was it, Funzo Bear or Hug-A-Lot in the second Lotso. one? Lotso. Lotso, he's like, yeah. Like, he was a good guy until... Well, oh, that was the third one. That was the third one. Because the yeah. second one was, what, Stinky Pete? Oh, yeah. And Stinky Prospect Pete's like, Pete, yeah. yeah, he's like, nah, I can't let you go, Chief. Like, we're collectors. Like, we, we do better as a group. Yeah. And I want to be, like, everybody looking at That was, at like, stuff. halfway through the film. Yeah, but you thought he was good for a long maybe, time. Maybe third act. Yeah. I'm trying to think about the, how that whole film, like, plays <clears throat> out. Maybe third act. Well, because... Prospector Pete. Woody got hurt, and the kid gave up on him, and he's like, well, I get, we gotta get him fixed. Mm, yeah. Well, mom gave up on a kid, didn't give up. With no, he dropped Woody. The second his arm ripped, he's like, oh, I'm done with you, and just, like, let him go. <laughs> Like an asshole kid would, and Woody's I mean, like, that's "Fuck, fair. I need to get my arm fixed so I get played <laughs> with some more." That's fair, but I'm but the bad guy in that film was the for the majority of the film was Al from Al's Toy Barn. I forgot there was a because he fucking doing steals stuff. that guy. Yeah, he stinky, steals Woody, but Stinky Pete. Well, there's two. That's the problem with Toy Story Two. There's two bad guys. Yeah, but yeah. So my thoughts on the villain is just fuck Ernesto de la Cruz. Like he is the fucking worst. Fuck yeah. that guy. Out of the scale of Disney villains, he's he's up there with diabolical shit that he did. He's my most hated, probably, villain of all Disney films, and that's saying a lot. Yeah. He killed the dude to steal his music. I'm like, shit, man. Like that's That's some real world shit. That's some human shit. Yeah. That it, only it's, Pixar it's very that human. only Pixar could do because very human. He, Well, I mean I guess Disney could do it, but Disney doesn't really do live action movies so much anymore. Yeah. Yeah, that was pretty wild. All right, what do you think about the music? Uh, it was great. Um, Pixar, Disney, they they usually don't mess around with their music. Uh, the the talent show song you did was really good. Um, Poco Loco? Mi Amor. Un Poco Loco? Yeah. I, don't know, I, I love that film. But um, it was a really good song. It was a really good song. And then the Remember Me, uh, the one he did for his daughter, um, you could tell that it's, they made it seem like it's an old song. But, like, the chords and the progression, that's a new-ass song. Like, the, he's like, it was like, remember me, do, 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 do,
that's new stuff. Like, it, you could tell it's a new song. Yeah. Well, maybe. How much Mexican music do you listen to? Not a lot, but I can tell that's a new-ass song. Mm, okay. And it is a new-ass song. They, well, yes, they made it, it is, to but... seem like it was old. But just the chord progression, it just, it was very new. And then what, that high note at the, like, ah, oh, yeah. Just the way that song went, it was really cool, but it didn't seem like it was an old song. But that's hard to do, make a song sound old, you know? We need to listen to the Spanish version. Recuerdame. You would like that version a lot, I think. Yeah, but no, it, it was legit. The music in this movie is great. Yeah, I love the music in this film. I love Michael Giacchino's score. He did a wonderful job of incorporating uh, all the elements, like the Hispanic elements. There were mariachi bands in this film. There were, there was everything. Like there was a Quetzalcoatl. Yes, there was. <laughs> they had everything in this film. Like uh, in the talent show scene in the Day of the Dead, they made sure to show all these different types of traditional Spanish music. They had mariachi. They had. They had what opera? Mm-hmm. It was like a couple singing opera. There was, um, there was so much cool stuff, and it was so good. My favorite song from the film is definitely "Un Poco Loco." I love that song, and I listen to it all the time in the car. Like, <laughs> I I just love it. There's a couple of different versions. The soundtrack for this film, like the physical soundtrack, is really really cool um, because they do a bunch of the songs like the ones that you see in the film, and then they do them completely in Spanish. Which is actually another really cool thing about this film. You can find the regular version that is uh, just in English with uh, hints of Spanish tossed in. Like, they do... Some of the words just don't translate to English, so they keep them um, Spanish. And then there is a full Spanish version that you can listen to that is done by the same cast, because the entire cast was... Uh, Spanish speaking so that's really fucking cool and all the songs they do all the songs in Spanish it's really fucking cool I love all the attention to detail that they put into this the music of this film and the film in general well they knew they for sure and that's just comes with a cutthroat company that makes a lot of money they know they had to work hard for the first one well it's not technically the first one but the first large scale movie of another culture like this that if they do this one right... This is their first one in a long, long yeah. time. If they do this one right, then people's apprehensions of them doing something like this go down and then they can do more stuff. And yeah. it's easier. Just like Black Panther. There are a lot of frumpy people out there that are like, Bruh, Black Panther, bruh, you know, SJWs, and, you know, yeah. stuff like that. But that movie made all the money. Yeah. So they're like, well, fuck, we're making two more of these. Yeah. Easy. It, it just works out. Like, once you get the first one right, the first impression... Like, easily, there will be more... There's going to be something else Latino American, like... Oh, dear God, I hope so. Movie, for sure. So, there will be something else coming so out. So, when this film first came out, I didn't want to see it because the trailer for this film made it look exactly like The Book of Life. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and I love The Book of Life. The Book of Life is a, another animated film uh, set in Mexico about the Day of the Dead, and it, it's a very similar storyline. Like, the, the beginning storyline is very similar. Uh, the end of it is different. Like, it doesn't revolve exactly around his family helping him get out. But more in, in the Book of Life, the main character has to go through these different stages and meet these different people in the Land of the Dead to help him get out. And... 
the original trailer for this film made it look so much like the book of life that i was just really upset like i have wanted disney to do a movie about mexican culture for my entire life like i have been waiting for this film basically and the fact that they put out a film that was so similar to another studio's animated film what like two years three years after the book of life came out was super upsetting to me they have had years and years and years to prep a film like this to put out a film like this to give us a mexican princess or something a mexican prince like the closest we've gotten is emperor's new groove and that's like barely barely scratching the surface and they don't even like the culture in that film is not super big like it doesn't have a super big impact it's more of just a funny comedy so i was really upset when this film first came out that disney pixar did all that work and is finally putting out a movie about mexican culture and it's the same plot as another film that already just came out so i didn't see this film immediately when it came out but after i finally saw it i was just blown away like this movie was so beautiful and so good and the music played a big part of that like they did such a good job in that what about i mean you don't have memories but how did this movie uh make you feel i guess it was good typical disney stuff did you learn anything from this film uh the word ofrenda uh i learned that well i always knew that shitty people will kill you for your talent i learned that um spanish accents are pretty cool sounding but you've known that yeah but um (laughs) no i I didn't really learn much from it just you know certain words but you already knew all the stuff about the day of the dead no not really but so you learned a lot about the Dia de los Muertos, right? That's why I said the ofrenda. <laughs> yeah. That, that's it. There's no fucking customs in spirit world that people have no, to scan but, their face. But they talked but the about ofrenda. but they talked about the the marigolds. Did okay. you catch that? I didn't know the the plant the marigold part. But the you, yeah. So at the, the beginning, was like the big part. at the beginning of the film, when the abuelita is talking about the. The flowers. She's like carrying in all those flowers. And she explains to Miguel the reason why they use the marigolds. Because the marigolds bring the... It like creates a pathway for Mm. the family to find their way to the ofrenda. So they lay the marigolds from from the ofrenda all the way to the cemetery. So that their ancestors can come and follow the path of marigolds basically to their family. Oh, sweet. Yeah. So there, I read that there is a second um ofrenda that happens in mexico and it's a ofrenda for those forgotten basically so not necessarily family members but people like on the side and disney chose not to do it in this film because it would have thrown off the entire plot and like messed up their whole like oh well hector is trying to come back because he's not on any ofrendas because he would have been on like the forgotten ofrenda okay so my memories, like I said, I didn't see this film right when it came out, but personal attachment to this film, like, this is my culture. We watched this with my dad last night, and he was blown away by the portrayal of Mexican culture, basically. He was so happy to see a portrayal of Mexican culture on film in an animated film the way he did. And he even said that uh, my abuelo, my grandpa, would have been so happy 
to see this film. Like, he would have loved knowing that this film existed, that there was a basically a pathway for people to learn about Mexican culture here in America. Like, he would have loved, my grandpa would have loved that. And then my abuelita, my dad's mom, is the abuelita in this film. Like, she is that woman who is just all angry and was like, don't, you know, you can't be a musician, you can't do this. She was like hitting people with her chancla. She was just angry and aggressive the entire time. That is my abuelita. Like, <laughs> to a T. <laughs> that, that was her. So all of my memories of my abuelita, like, that was her. She was never that way with me specifically, but I could see it in her reactions with my dad and with my aunts and uncles. Like, that was her. She was that mom who was just like, no nonsense. Like, don't fuck with me. That was my abuelita, and I love that attachment that I have to this film and to her through this film. All right, what about a seven-word synopsis? Kid discovers his grandpa isn't... No, damn it. Um, Kid discovers his dead grandpa isn't shitty. <laughs> I had one in my head when we right when we started recording. Okay, well, keep thinking about it, and I'll give mine. Mine is... Um, Ernesto de la Cruz can get fucked. That's it. That's my seven word synopsis for this film. Fuck that guy. He is the goddamn worst. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. Do you figure it out? No, nah, it was it? something close to that. I had a couple words switched around, but it was honestly, a kid discovers his grandpa's not a piece of shit. Yeah. I mean, basically. Thank God. Um, okay. What is, what do you think the budget for this film was? Uh, probably a hundred million. Go up. 250 million okay not that far but yeah so the budget for this film was 175 million dollars oh, told me to go up you made a face like it was like 500 or something oh no it's twice as much basically damn what face. you said you got me fucked up you made sorry a face. sorry i made a face this is 175 million dollars to make this film which is pretty much par for the course for pixar films because they cost an insane amount of money because there's like 80 billion people involved in the making of the film mm-hmm. different people who are doing coloring and lighting and shadowing and just an insane amount of people and then what do you think the box office for this film was 500 this film made 807.1 million dollars in the box office awesome it spent uh i think five weeks at number no three consecutive weeks at number one um, in the U- U.S. box office, which is pretty much unheard of for an animated feature. And it just blew, like, internationally, it blew up in Mexico and all of South America. Like, it, this movie blew up. And I hope, I don't, I don't know what Disney has planned for the future, but I hope that the success of this film makes them make more films about Mexican-American culture. I really, really, really want a Hispanic princess. Like, and don't come at me with uh, Elena of Avalor or Elena of Avalor is a Mexican princess or Sophia the First is a Mex- or is a Hispanic princess. Like, no, I don't care. Disney Junior does not count. I want true Disney animated feature princess or prince. I'd be fine with a prince too. Like, give it to me. Give me something that is related to the Hispanic culture and not just like, oh yeah, some made up country, Avalor, in Spain. Like, no, don't give me that bullshit. And don't give me Disney Junior shit either. Like, I want real, 
real Disney stuff. That would be cool. Yeah. Okay, so this film runs for an hour and 45 minutes. It's kind of long, but it's a Pixar film, so it's about it's about right. Um, the original run of this film, uh, a runtime in this film, was another half hour. Uh, if you saw it in theaters, or like when it very first came out, it was two hours and 15 minutes because it had a 30-minute uh, short attached. It had uh, Olaf's Frozen Adventure oh, attached okay. to the front of it. Um, which is a cute film if you like the Frozen films. Um, but they Disney decided to pull it like three weeks or so into the run of this film because people, they were getting a lot of complaints from audience members saying that they thought they had walked into the wrong film. Like people thought they had walked into like Frozen. Like a re-showing or a re... Yeah, a re-theatering, I guess, of Frozen. Because that short was so long, like, they walked in and they were just like, oh, this is a Frozen film, not Coco, not what I wanted to see. But, yeah, so they took it off uh, and they didn't replace it. So it just had that short, that, like, 30-minute short for, like, three weeks and then they took it off. And now you can find that short just, like, it. I think it's on Disney Shorts or Pixar Shorts 2 or 3 or whatever. But it cut down the runtime of this film down to an hour 45 and if you have an hour and 45 to watch a movie, I highly recommend this one. If you don't know anything about Mexican culture, don't know anything about Dia de los Muertos, want to learn more about Dia de los Muertos, or just really like fun music and animated films, you need to watch this movie. It's really, really good. And Otis enjoyed it. He saw it for the very first time and he loved it. So. Yeah, it was great. And Otis is not a big fan of Disney and Pixar like I am, so... I enjoy Disney films, it's just that I don't... He's not a fanatic. at the mouth when they come out. He's not a fanatic, but... Yes, but he liked it a lot, and... Uh, I love this film. You should definitely, definitely watch it. So that does it for this episode. Uh, our next episode will be about the black exploitation film Undercover Brother. <laughs> so make sure to tune in for that. Uh, please don't forget you can tweet us at Allentown Presents or no sorry at Allentown Pod you can email us at AllentownPresents at gmail.com you can find us wherever podcasts can be listened to are we on iHeartRadio yet? no it's not yet a couple more days a couple more days and we'll be on iHeartRadio so yeah check us out tell your friends get everyone you know to listen to us we're going to be doing a lot more um regular film reviews to fit in with our themes so yeah make sure you tune in and join us thanks for listening and we'll see you later see you guys bye